Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery. This is Anne. I'm continuing the conversation with Sarah McDougall today. Part of this is going to be an expose on every man's battle and how it's harmful to women. You're going to love it. Um, later on, I'm actually going to talk to Sheila Gregoire of To Love, Honor, and Vacuum. So stay tuned for that Like in like a month or so. She has a lot to say about this, and Sarah took some of her stuff from that book, The Great Sex Rescue, which I'll talk to Sheila Gregoire about later. Before I get to my conversation with Sarah, if you are listening to this podcast, my guess is that I know what you're going through because I've been through it myself, and it was extremely excruciating and isolating and difficult to figure out. And in fact, even though I'm doing better personally and my life is more safe now, This problem is ongoing if you share children with a sex addict, even if you're divorced. The abuse is ongoing and so many women know about this. So you need support for a long time. Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group is the least expensive, most expansive support there is. We have multiple sessions a day in every single time zone. You can go to as many sessions as you want to or need to. In most groups, you only are going to have about two or three minutes of share time. So even if you went to every single session that day, you still only have about 12 minutes of share time total. So if you're feeling like, man, I need to go to every single session, which you're absolutely welcome to do, probably also consider an individual session where you can just talk for 50 minutes to one coach if you find you're needing to share more than you're able to in group. Our coaches are amazing and women love their individual sessions with them and you can schedule those at our website. When you join Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group, you get unlimited sessions and you can join anywhere under your bed, in your closet. (laughs) It's great. Just make sure that when you sign up, you do so from a laptop or a desktop. And when you attend a session for the first time, you're doing it from a laptop or desktop so that you know kind of what to expect. And then from there, you can join on your phone or on a tablet. Go to btr.org to check out the session schedule, and we'd love to see you in a session today. To those of you who have given us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or your other podcasting apps, thank you. Here is one five-star rating we recently received. It's called Traumatic Betrayal. I was with a man for three years who groomed me, lied to me about almost everything concerning his life. After he died, I found out he had multiple relationships behind my back and watched a lot of porn according to his cell phone. In the beginning, I was devastated when I found out about all the betrayal and deceit, and this podcast helped me deal with my shame and guilt. I am back in therapy with a therapist I saw during my relationship with my abuser. I did ask my therapist why he didn't recognize the manipulations and lies from this man. And my therapist told me that some people are so good at it that when they do, even therapists don't recognize it. This is one of the best podcasts on traumatic betrayal. Thank you so much for your review. That's one thing that does happen often. Even people who are well-meaning, well-meaning clergy, well-meaning therapists, they really don't understand this type of abuse. We've also found that the legal system does not recognize this type of abuse. So guardian ad litems, custody evaluators, uh, lawyers, judges just don't see it. I am having Tina Swithin of One Mom's Battle on the podcast in a couple weeks. Please stay tuned for that. That's going to be helpful in navigating that legal system. I'm going to start talking about that more. In the meantime, so many women are finding help from betrayal trauma recovery where they can't find it other places. So if you haven't already and you're so inclined, 
Give this podcast a five-star rating and perhaps a review on Apple Podcasts. We also appreciate your ratings on Amazon for Trauma Mama Husband Drama and giving it a rating on Facebook. Every single time you rate something or you share it, it helps isolated women find us. And we know that with your help, we are making a big difference in helping women get to peace and safety. All right, now back to our conversation with Sarah. You brought up Every Man's Battle. Can you give a few examples from that book of devaluing that are pretty common in the like Christian vernacular of just devaluing women in general, especially in this context? I don't even know where to start. I just did a 48-minute scathing review of it. By the way, I shared from our Facebook page, so you can either go to Sarah McDougall's page on Facebook and find it there, or you could find it on our page. I'll link to it in the show notes. But are there like one or two that you can think of right now that are just the typical classic examples of what you might get in terms of a clergy devaluing you or your spouse devaluing you in the context of sex addiction? Yes. Okay. So first of all, I think I'm going to try to bring out three things. First of all, the book, Every Man's Battle, takes the approach of very much, and I can even give you page numbers, page 24 to 28, right near the beginning of the book, takes the clinical definitions of sexual addiction and then basically says, ah, but you know, all Christian men do this, so that doesn't apply to us. We're not actually addicts. And that is a massive devaluing right there. It's this whole sin leveling. Well, hey, if everybody's doing it, then we can't all be addicts. So we're not actually addicted. We have a smaller problem than it actually is. So diminishing that problem is devaluing the worth and the value of their wives. Also saying we do this, but we're really good guys, basically. And isn't that the goal of that? To be like, we're not bad guys. We're not abusers. Yes, absolutely. And throughout the entire book, not once is there even a hint that infidelity, sexual addiction, sexual compulsive behavior is actually abuse. They don't reference it that I could find even once in the entire book. So there's a huge aspect of the approach of, hey, at our core, we're really good guys. There's this sense that it's actually not a sense. It's overtly stated over and over through the book that God wired you to be this way. So you're supposed to choose purity, but actually you're you're combating the way God wired you to be. So that's a very confusing, and I think that's a devaluing message to men personally, as well as women. Another aspect of it throughout the book is that they say over and over and over again that the way to handle sexual attraction is to, they, they use the term bounce your eyes. So what that boils down to is don't look at anything that you find attractive. And they go so far as to say, like if there's an attractive woman at work, avert your eyes, avoid her. Do not talk to her. Don't look at her. Instead of teaching men the message that men need to cultivate a mindset of viewing women as whole people rather than collections of sexuality and objects of sexual pleasure, they say basically 
route and channel all your sexual objectification. They don't say it in so many words, but this is the core, the essence of it. Channel all your sexual objectification on your wife, lucky her, and never look at anyone that you find potentially attractive in the rest of the world. That values the human personhood. All women. Yeah. Don't look at these women. They're not people. They're just sex objects. And in order to avoid any sexual feelings, don't look at them. That's crazy. Exactly. You need quotes for this. And I'm going to give you quotes for one other thing as well. So page 164 in the 20th anniversary revised and updated edition where they apparently improved the book. I realize I'm not being very gracious. I have strong feelings about this. And in my review, in my defense, I started with a list of about a dozen things that I thought were really good points that they made in the book. So there's that. If you want to hear all the good things I thought, go watch the review before I eviscerate it. I'm not going to waste time with all the good things here in our podcast. So on page 164, three ways to avoid lustful attraction. They say, one, bounce your eyes. Don't even look at a woman you think is attractive. Two, actual quote, avoid her, end quote. So the core message is don't teach yourself to treat women as intelligent humans. Just focus all your sexual energy on the woman you have at home. Three, and this is another direct quote, play the dweeb, be bland and uninteresting, end quote. In other words, they're telling men to reduce themselves and their identity and hope that dangerous women will forage elsewhere instead of treat women as humans with equal intelligence. Just play the dweeb. Can you imagine working in like an office context with someone who might think you are a reasonably good looking woman? And so they refuse to look at you, they avoid you, and they decide to be... I think that the, the phrase that they used in the book was to commit social suicide in order to avoid having conversations with attractive women. Well, and also think about what that does to that woman's job. Is she going to be considered for a promotion? Is she going to be included on that really important business lunch, right? Where they're discussing what they're going to do with the business. Is she going to be considered for this meeting where you need input from people, right? They're going to be dismissing her and marginalizing her while they're trying to quote unquote, avoid looking at her. So this type of solution for male sexual attraction is designed to create a toxic, abusive work environment. Yeah, it's absolutely misogynistic at its core. Absolutely. That kind of mental approach to things is just permeates the entire book. Now here's another one, and this is on page 111. So this is the third thing, and then we can move on to whatever you want to move on to if we have the stomach for it after this. Um, this one is a section called telling your wife. Now this is where I feel that it's kind of, it's almost in the middle of the book. And I think it's the hinge point of one of the worst segments that devalues women in the entire book. Their approach to how you should handle your sexual addiction is 
don't tell your wife. They're encouraging ongoing deception in addicts, where deception is already a core fundamental element of the addictive cycle, right? So let me read you some quotes. I'm on page 111 in the new book. It says, perhaps you'll want to tell your wife about your battle for purity so that she, your dear, gracious wife, may help you win. First of all, it's not her job. But don't be in a big hurry, they say. Remember, our habits are rooted in our maleness. They've gone over this over and over and over again in the book. God created your maleness. Your habits are rooted in your maleness. So basically, it's God's fault. What does that sound like from those four tools we talked about? Deflection. Because of that, I'm quoting again, we understand them, meaning our habits. Women don't. Wives who learn of their husband's struggles with impurity will often see them as betrayal and they may see their husbands as perverts. Well, really, Sherlock? Maybe because they are. It's weird. Maybe because it's actually betrayal. Shocking. It's, it is shocking. But they don't at any point say this is betrayal. They say, don't tell your wife because she might get emotional. Now, oh, here, I, I'm not done. End of page 111. Women often swing between judgment and mercy, sometimes by the day, sometimes by the hour. The emotions run high and it plays with your head on the battlefield. In other words, don't face the music. Don't give your wife an opportunity to feel the feelings of your betrayal or look the painful cost of your betrayal in the face. Keep the secret, hide your sin, continue living in a lie to avoid the negative repercussions on your relationship. Now, here's what they do say, page 112. Now, I'm just going to interject my editorialization here. So somehow they're implying that you can live like this and still achieve intimacy and connection. I mean, you tell me, this. does it work that way? No, no, it does not. If it wasn't so alarming and absolutely harmful, it would be hilarious. Exactly. But it's infuriating because 4 million men and women have read this and assumed that this is how it works. Listen to this. Top of page 112. That's probably why Brenda, the wife of one of the authors, says that the best time to bring up your struggle to your wife is after you've won the battle, which is the only genuine can't-miss proposition in this discussion. So first of all, they deflect the responsibility for that suggestion onto one of their wives, because surely if a woman suggested it, it's the right thing to do, right? Second, so honesty isn't required for the intimacy they're advocating? I mean, really? And third, the goal here isn't a can't-miss proposition. The goal is supposed to be humble, genuine disclosure and total honesty, not keeping secrets in secret. As I was reading that and marking it up, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, so wait, do they actually think that telling your wife this after you've, quote, won the struggle means you're not still going to rip the rug out from under her world? I mean, there's no way that might back. Hey, babe, the last 20 years of our marriage while I was working on this in secret and not telling you was totally a lie. Don't be unhappy now. Let's go cook dinner. Yeah, there's no way that could backfire. No, and also totally negates the fact that for that 20 years that you're working on it in secret and gaslighting her and being emotionally unavailable and et cetera, et cetera, 
that it wasn't abusive to her the whole time. Exactly. So the devaluing that I see there is this fundamental basic assumption that the little wife is not a whole person who needs to be able to make an informed decision. It's this idea that she's not strong enough to handle the truth. So page 113 says, choosing to make a full disclosure on your own can be a huge mistake. They're not mentioning consent anywhere here. So they're basically promoting rape and lack of sexual consent. Okay, that's fun. Okay, keep going. Okay, so even if you just want to get it all off your chest as soon as possible, I would strongly encourage you to consider telling her with a counselor or a pastor in the room. This third party can help ensure that your wife hears exactly what you are saying and will be there to help her process and work through her initial shock from your revelation. So now through this whole thing, they've kept saying, hey, Every man struggles with this. It's not that big a deal. And it's not actually sexual addiction. But then they say, you couldn't possibly expect your wife to handle the truth about it without, quote, initial shock and needing to have a third party to help her process the disclosure. Now, I'm the first to recommend that if you are a betrayed spouse who's just gotten a disclosure, counseling is absolutely a good idea, but it needs to be from a trauma-informed, betrayal trauma-informed counselor, not your husband's favorite pastor who's going to sit there and diminish things and then tell you that it's probably actually partly your fault and you really just need to give him some understanding. He's such a good guy. Aren't you grateful that he's now telling the truth? What's wrong with you that you're acting so weird? You should be grateful that he's one of the good guys, that he's told the truth to you now. That doesn't even begin to address the downright disturbing descriptions of women. I couldn't find any descriptions of women, maybe I missed some, but that weren't sexualized. Like I wrote down 15 phrases to describe females that I came across throughout the book. These are words like hot looking babe, a tarantula, a goddess like blonde, her ample bosom, a banquet of glistening flesh, her lithe figure, a striking bombshell, curvy gem rats, a sensual serpentine, buxom babes. One of the authors talks about going to the gym with his 10th grade son. He talks about these like young classmates of his son, these three curvy teenaged babes who came into the weightlifting room. Uh, they're minors. They're minors. He's describing underage girls, minors, as curvy teenaged babes. And then right at the end of the book, because I kept thinking, okay, if we get to the end, maybe it'll get better, right? <laughs> maybe, maybe it'll improve. Maybe there will be this point where they shift and they start treating women like humans. But no, all the way at the end, he describes his own wife during a series of health issues over several years. And he, he talks about how she gained and lost significant amounts of weight. Like her mother got really sick and she lost 40 pounds in a few weeks. Just like really intense, stressful times for his wife. And so he describes her, not her mind, not her soul, not her anguish, not her emotions. But he says, I had married a full-bodied curvy knockout. And suddenly she turned into this wispy, anorexic, prepubescent girl. And then he talks about how she had other health issues later. And 
she gained weight back and she changed into a wonderfully curvy, full-bodied woman. These are direct quotes. And then there was more stress and trauma and she dropped weight again. And he says, so suddenly there was this thin babe thrust into my bed without warning. I mean, does this sound like someone who's conquered their sexual lusts to you? Or does this sound like someone who is objectifying and devaluing even his own wife throughout the entire book? I was just appalled. And you know what's crazy? I've had Christian counselors when I started speaking out about books like this, including this one, message me and tell me that they think these books have plenty of redeeming value and I should really stop speaking out against them. Wow. I think that the general pornography addiction recovery community and even the abuse community discount misogyny as a major factor. And they, you can't, you cannot. I mean, clearly from that book, you've got complete devaluing of women going on. And people are thinking, this is a great book because she was a hot teenager or whatever. I mean, that's crazy. It's profoundly disturbing. Why do you think the faith community just does not want to acknowledge the value of women as people? Oh, friend. Where do we even start with that? I think there's one fundamental bottom line other than just sin, which is the fundamental bottom line. (laughs) But I think it centers on power and control. People who are addicted to power and control want to maintain their power and control. And far too often, those who hold people spiritually in the palm of their hands are in those careers because of the unchecked access to power and control. Yeah, I agree. And it's dangerous for women. Absolutely dangerous. for. The thing is, I would strongly say that women taking power and control, like trying to steal the steering wheel, is not the answer either. I believe that the answer is in the humility of Christ for both genders. Selfless, seeking the best good and using whatever power we have, because everyone has power and influence of some kind, but using whatever power we have to protect, to empower, and to uplift others around us rather than to exploit or jockey ourselves higher. Yeah, I agree. I do think that uh, when we talk about that, if we say that, I worry that women don't think they deserve to be on an equal playing field. So when they say we don't want to be higher, what they're really afraid of is being equal. Do you know what I'm saying? And so I want women to know like you deserve to be equal. It's okay to take power back enough to be equal. It's okay to say, no, my opinion matters just as much as yours. No, my interpretation of this scripture matters just as much as your interpretation. That is not necessarily taking power over. That's just empowering yourself to be equal to. Yeah. That goes back to our earlier conversation. And that is, why do women feel so often that... They don't deserve 
to be free of abuse, to live without abuse. They don't deserve to be able to stand up for themselves in safe and healthy ways. And, and that is because we have been conditioned to believe that equality is somehow the same as negatively stealing power instead of seeing ourselves as absolutely equal before God and on this planet. God can talk to women just as much as he can talk to men. You don't need a man to interpret or explain scripture to you and that you are fully entitled in the healthiest of ways to your own thriving relationship with God. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really important that when you want to empower yourself, do not let others push you down (laughs) and say, you're just trying to take power from us because that is not what's happening. You're trying to empower yourself to be on an equal playing field. Yeah. And this whole idea of stealing the sunshine. There's enough sunshine for everyone. You don't have to take power over other people and control other people in order to be their equal. And they don't have to do that to you for you to be their equal. I would say that is an abusive mindset where there is no equality. So you either are in power or you're submissive. An abusive mindset is that you cannot be on an equal playing field. So if you are trying to be equal with an abusive man and he cannot abide equality, then your attempt to be equal is his perspective on that is going to be that you're trying to take power away from him. It's not going to be, oh, she's just trying to have an equal say here. That either or type of thinking is abusive at its core. God holds so many things in tension with each other. It is both and, not just either or. And I'm not talking about some new age universalism where everything is okay. I'm not talking about the absence of truth and error or good and evil. I'm talking about the fact that the abusive mindset is always a zero sum game. If you win, I have to lose. If I win, you have to lose. If I'm in control, you cannot be. There's no partnership in that. There's just hierarchy. Yeah. And that's why there can't be intimacy. There's no partnership. Absolutely. Because there's no partnership. There's no mutual understanding and working together for each other's best. There's, it's, a, it's a unidirectional flow, top down. And everything God does is service from the bottom up. Christ sought the lowest place. He left the power and the glory and the throne of heaven to be the kind of human who washes dirty feet. He serves from the bottom of the ladder upward, always lifting others upward. And that is how husbands are called to love their wives and their families. Not from a top-down boss approach, but from a bottom-up servanthood approach. To be there to protect, to provide, to empower without controlling. 
God gives us total free choice. Now, he also tells us what the results of really stupid choices are going to be. But he doesn't force us to choose him. If God was forceful, he would have slapped the fruit out of Eve's hand in the garden, right? He would have said, hey, no, no, you can't do that. He didn't. So a husband who goes around micromanaging and controlling his family. Or manipulating his wife into managing everything in his world. Or else, absolutely. One is playing God for her. The other is asking her to play God for him. One or the other, either one. So either way, regardless of whichever direction that is happening, it's not the partnership that God has intended for husbands and wives. I don't know where you stand on this, so I'm going to throw it out there. Look back at creation, the order of creation, Genesis chapter one and two. Each thing that was created served to either provide sustenance or protection for the thing that came next. Like God created air and oxygen before he created creatures that needed to breathe air and oxygen, right? He created land before he put animals on it. He created oceans before he put fish in it. He created trees and grass before he created animals that needed to feed on the trees and the grass. All of those things. God created Adam before he created Eve. Not because Adam was better for coming first, but because Adam was there to protect and provide for Eve. If you look at the order of creation, each thing that came next needed the thing that came prior to it. Yeah, I like it. That doesn't mean that women are better than men either. I'm not saying it's a matter of priority or value that's different. Oxygen is no less valuable than the, the, the creatures that breathe it, right? But Adam was not created first to take ownership and power and control over Eve. He was there to protect and provide for her, to support her and lift her up. It's ironic that Christian men, they really like this, I'm here to protect and provide for you thing. They really like it. They, they want to be the protector and the provider and stuff. But I think a lot of times they interpret that as I am in charge, right? I am the protector and the provider, meaning I am in charge, not meaning what would you have me do? How can I help? Yes. It's an entitlement instead of a servanthood. You are here to meet my desires and to make my life better instead of me being here to love as Christ loved and to lay down my life. And it's actually much easier to die than it is to live in sacrifice. If you think about it, being a hero and like jumping into the flames to pull the baby out of the burning house, well, that's a very heroic thing, right? And many people might go ahead and do that. But to live dying to self in service to others on a day-by-day, minute-by-minute basis calls for an incredible amount of applying the fruit of the Spirit. Self-control, faithfulness, patience, peaceful. 
We're going to pause the conversation here and continue next week with Sarah. She created this really cool way for women to see if they're being abused or not with the 13 systems of abuse. She's going to talk about that now. So today I want to give you something totally free from my team at Wild. And you can check us out at www.wildernesstowild.com. And what I want you to have for free today is my systems of abuse chart. There are actually 13 types of abuse, and sometimes it can be very, very hard to discern whether or not you're actually living with abuse. You may know that you've experienced betrayal, but you may not yet be aware of the other types of abuse that often go hand in hand with betrayal. So do you ever wonder if what you're living with is actually abuse, or do you wonder, is this just normal life? Like the extra difficult version? Or do you wish that you could figure out the patterns and understand what's really happening? Do you wonder if these confusing, difficult things in your relationship have names? Are they really a thing? If this is you, you need my systems of abuse chart. It's totally free. This is the only place it's available. And in this resource, I highlight practical examples from all 13 patterns of abusive behavior that can help you pierce the fog and really find clarity. I really appreciate the Sarah's content. You can get the links to the 13 systems of abuse from this podcast episode. So go to btr.org, find this podcast episode, and all the links that we've talked about will be right there. Also, if you follow us on social media, we're always posting these things. So if you follow us on Facebook, you'll see it there. We also have a newsletter that we send out every week with everything on it. Uh, you can go to our website, btr.org, scroll down to the bottom and sign up for the newsletter and get a notification about this week's podcast. We create content here at Betrayal Trauma Recovery as well. Like We produce this podcast and interview really important guests. Like I said, in a couple of weeks, we'll have Tina Swithin on from One Mom's Battle. Stay tuned. Next week, I will continue my conversation with Sarah. We're having a Sarah McDougall spring fling, which has been really fun. So stay tuned for my last interview with Sarah next week. I appreciate your support. So if this podcast is helpful to you, please support it. Go to the website, btr.org, scroll down to the bottom and click on support the podcast. And until next week, stay safe out there.